Well, who needed another rendition of The Joker? I know I didn't. I wasn't wanting to see the film. I was quite content to uh, satisfy myself with the rendition played by Heath Ledger in uh, the incredible movie The Dark Knight with Christian Bale as Batman. Admission, I'm a very big Batman fan, as my close friends know. <laughs> he is. And um, I really wasn't uh, too keen on seeing this film. Uh, but I did. Uh, especially given all of the surrounding controversy that it was going to uh, induce young incels to uh, commit uh, shooting sprees and that it was a kind of a, uh, a call to violence in its own way and that it was dangerously irresponsible. All sorts of quotes coming from the woke media that, uh, that we were exposed to, including the military who sent out a letter to its uh, personnel stating, you know, if you're going to go to movie theaters that weekend, be very careful and watchful. Well, what a load of nonsense as we have come to realize uh, because, in fact, uh, Joker, far from being the uh, irresponsible uh, kind of advocacy of, of violence and, uh, and instability that, uh, comes to, um, that comes to be exemplified in the character of Joker, this kind of agent of chaos, the arch nemesis of Batman, uh, this being that uh, that is psychotic and and lives for his own uh, personal satisfaction of 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 killing and and taking control of situations and and of uh, inflicting great suffering. This movie was actually quite surprisingly insightful on many levels, and um, and on top of that, and and we'll be getting into this uh, in the show as well. Uh, it was made very artfully. Uh, so that's, that's it for the intro. We can go in any number of directions, guys, mm-hmm. I think, uh, in describing this movie and, and what makes it good. Well, right off, I want to just say that we'll probably be weaving in and out of spoiler territory for the show. So if you're worried about that kind of thing and you, and you uh, don't want anything spoiled, then probably watch the movie first and then come back and listen to our discussion because we'll be discussing well like the whole movie and uh everything surrounding it and uh um, from a, a bunch of different angles but to start out with i want to comment a bit on this kind of negative media hype that was going on because like you said it, like judging just from judging by the press that it was getting even from people that hadn't seen the movie you'd expect I, like, I expected something completely different, or at least until I started reading some other things and then finally seeing the movie, like, the, it was just totally and completely misrepresented. Um, and the total hysteria that was surrounding the movie, knowing now what I do about the movie, makes me think that there is something else going on. Mm-hmm. Like, what what is it about this movie that provoked such a well, hysterical reaction that was totally at odds with reality. Um, maybe we can deal with a few of the, of the accusations, I guess, you, I guess you could call them. Like, first of all, that it's extremely violent. Well, now having seen the movie, 
there are some violent scenes. There's one particularly violent scene that isn't 5% as gory as any number of movies I've seen in the last 10 years, whether horror movies or war movies, um, that actually kind of um, not only depict like horrific acts of violence, but do it in such a way that it is um, either completely over the top or completely in your face, like just to show how gory you could be. Like there, that's everywhere, and um, it's on TV. Like it's on kind of the the big channels like HBO or you know the the ones you have to actually pay for. You you get extreme violence in all of these shows and movies. This movie is relatively tame compared to that. Like I said, there are a few violent scenes. Most of the violence is um, well. I, th- I think there's what maybe three three or four violent scenes in the whole movie, most involving gunshots where you don't really see much. It's clear that someone got shot, and that's, that's it. Some have some blood spatters, and then there's one particularly violent scene involving a stabbing. And even that, you don't actually see very much compared to, again, like a lot of the like, horror movies that have come out in the last five, ten years, even the last year. So that was completely blown out of proportion, the, the level of violence in the movie. And the, like, the movie itself isn't really about violence like the violence is this is something that that like interjects itself at various important parts of the movie that are actually integral to the to the narrative of the movie to the plot and to the development so that was odd and then there's this whole idea about the the movie inspiring violence as as if it glorifies this violence first of all and then that that glory will then reflect itself in individuals susceptible that might idolize the Joker or something and see it as a good thing and wish to emulate it. But when you actually see the movie, like if that happens, then, then it would be at no fault of the filmmakers. Mm-hmm. It would be like someone, I mean, you could, you could take any movie with violence and then say that just because they saw something violent, they were emulating it. When this movie, um, this movie in particular Anyone watching this movie who comes away with that message, there's got to be something wrong with them in the first place. And no one has done that. There hasn't been any violence in reaction to this movie so far. But when you actually watch the movie, I think the reason it's making people so uncomfortable is the same reason that people haven't been going out shooting people because of it. Because the way the movie is structured is, and uh, like, I don't like, you know, I wouldn't say it has a message, but if there's a... If there's a if there is a message to it, it is one that would actually or that should actually make you repulsed by the violence, right? And probably like de-radicalize you if you're if if you have that particular kind of mentality, because the like the way I see the actual movie is here's a presentation of exactly what the like well almost exactly what the media are saying um, would happen to these to these potential viewers, but in the movie itself, here you have this character who is, let's say, uh, you know, a potential risk, a potential violent threat or risk, um, and that this character encountering certain things in his life and, um, and having his own, um, like, mental illness problems and personality problems um, then becomes violent, um, essentially becomes radicalized in a certain sense, and, um, and becomes this violent criminal. So that's what the media were saying was going to happen to actual people. But within the film, 
the the character arc the like the the journey that this character goes through is one that should leave you actually feeling um repulsed by this journey and it's like oh wow you know that's that's uh first of all mm-hmm. it's a, it's a tragedy it's it's like a it's like it's almost like watching this not true crime but this descent into criminality that is actually disturbing to watch and like there is in the movie really if you're paying attention to the movie there's no reason to um to adulate or mm-hmm. to admire this character like I said, essentially, you should you should have the opposite reaction. And I I, I saw a few interviews with uh, some of the filmmakers, including the um, co-writer and director Todd Phillips, where he he was asked about this about the the kind of controversy of having this character that you might empathize with. Mm-hmm. And first of all, he pointed out that that yeah, he empathizes with the character, and he he's saying, well, I empathized with Scarface through the entire movie. So that, like just as a, a kind of humorous look at himself. But he says that for, for people watching the movie, absolutely you should be empathizing with this Arthur Fleck character. And because uh, that's in the movie, like Joker is this character, Arthur Fleck. Maybe we can give a little background for those who haven't seen the movie. But this character, it, like he basically says, you should empathize with him. But each person is going to have like a different, a different point in the film where you're like, okay, where he kind of goes too far, where, you, where your perception of him switches and you think okay at that point you no longer you're no longer feeling sorry for him and and like rooting him like uh yeah rooting for him in the movie you're like okay that's like he's snapped he's gone too far like there should be a point in this film at which every relatively normal person has that reaction and i think this comes back to the the reason why i think that people um especially especially people more on the left, more on the liberal spectrum, spectrum are getting so uncomfortable with this movie. And I think this is the reason for, for their over-the-top reaction is because in many ways, the character of Arthur Fleck, the character of the Joker, is one like, with whom they should be emphas- uh, empathizing. Mm-hmm. Ordinarily, they would be, in, in, a different, in a slightly different context, they would be cheering this guy on. And the very fact that the movie actually leads you through in leads you on this journey to then see him as a horrible person, which he actually becomes Mm -hmm. that is kind of shattering one of the, one of their own or several of their own um, assumptions about the nature of the world and, and, and reality itself almost. And that is very uncomfortable because they want to root for this guy for various reasons, but they can't because he's presented as a, as this kind of evil criminal. And the, and the reasons why you're, you're uh, a liberal or anybody uh, with a modicum of empathy would um, feel compelled or, or feel a natural inclination. That's a better way of saying it uh, towards empathizing with Arthur Fleck is because, uh, He's clearly a kind of a uh, a, a person who's uh, deeply sorrowful, um, deeply depressed. Uh, makes his living uh, doing cheap gigs as a as a clown. Um, is alone in the sense that he doesn't have a, a partner. He takes care of his mother in a kind of an incestuous uh, incestuous uh, fashion. Um, he's uh, economically disadvantaged. 
Um, he's beaten up in one of the earlier scenes, just trying to do his job. So there are all of these things that would tug at the heartstrings. And like you said, Harrison, it, it's, um, it, it's, it's really, uh, the film is really uh, asking the viewer to do some work here and to question uh, just how far they're willing to uh, identify or, or empathize or um, feel some uh, kindred spirit uh, with, with Arthur. And so to see this descent into uh, psychosis and, and to learn how tenuous his grip on reality is as, as the narrative wears on uh, is, to, is to really begin to do some, uh, some of your own work on, and, and questioning on what it is you're, you're seeing. And that's not what most people are used to. Uh, as wonderful as uh, Heath Ledger's performance as the Joker was and the writing and direction was in The Dark Knight, pretty much he's presented uh, fait accompli as this uh, the psychotic mass, brilliant you know, mass murderer criminal that, uh, that we all kind of know of, of this character. Where this origin story is, is uh, asking people to, to think on um, on a troubled person with a criminal mind in a in a whole new context, I think. Well, one just maybe one other thing about the media reaction before we get into some more of our thoughts. Like, um, Corey, I know you've read some reviews too, but one of the ones I read was about how this movie was essentially racist and um like i don't even i don't know who wrote this article it it's really not that memorable but it was basically saying how it it really points out the like the problem of whiteness and this like this right this reviewer's point was that like uh i well I, i don't even know how to summarize it that uh really it showed the problems of white supremacy and how if arthur was like I, Arthur had to be white, essentially, and this this showed, like somehow he managed to weave this narrative, like this analysis of the of the movie all around race, when there was nothing in the movie about that. Like the, did you read that one, Corey? Like, uh, no, I, I the one that I read um, was a lot more subtle in how they depicted the the race their racial concerns and that was that the director was white so the movie sucked mm. <laughs> yeah very subtle it's very subtle well but the thing is like if you watch the movie just the movie as itself like i said doesn't really have any statements one or one way or the other about racism like the character himself is depicted as uh, like not a racist person he's just a a low class like mentally ill um white guy who happens to have a crush on his black neighbor and that's as i think as far as like the racial analysis goes like i think that the i think it's really well just like all kind of um like gender studies and or the vast majority of gender studies and this kind of stuff um it's really reaching in its analysis like you you have your your set framework from which you're going to view anything and then you just force fit anything that you're analyzing into that framework as opposed to just looking at the like the the movie in this case itself and saying okay well what does the movie itself say the movie itself isn't saying anything about like race one way or the other it really is uh, well and i think 
it's probably best to just like leave it at that. That uh, yeah. Well, just another another element there is that you know this guy is the Arthur Fleck. You know, after he goes through his transmutation into the Joker, he is the hero for the you know the left or whatever for the oppressed and all those people who want to kill the rich and eat the rich. And so, I mean, that right there, you know, that's a big slap in the face to all those people who want to eat the rich and kill the rich, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, you know, it's kind of a, it's a look in the mirror. You know, this is, this is a hero. This is somebody who, you know, in the, in the artist's imagination has, you know, all of these concerns, similar concerns that you have, you know, parrots your same ideas, but is fundamentally, like, clearly, you're looking right into his soul, essentially. He's like a demonic, crazy, schizoid, creep, idiot, fool that, you know, just just a total creep. So, I mean, basically what it's interjecting there is some degree of separation, um, you know, from some critical separation from your values to, uh, you know, just some, like you were saying, Alon, some work that you have to do to flesh out, like, you know, are these values universally good? Just, you know, just regardless of the psyche of the person who espouses them, like what, what kind of values does, does somebody like this really hold? Are they really adhering to these? I mean, or is this just an attack by the white, you know, power structure on our ideas? Or is there some, you know, something really at its root, very profound about that the movie says about the complexities of society and of mental illness? Like a number of reviews I've read have said that the movie has nothing new to say on mental illness. It's all just caricatures of mental illness, which is fundamentally just wrong Mm -hmm. and we'll get into that into that later but you know that's the kind of the public's take and a lot you know like vox uh foxes and their their point of view a number of the you know op-eds you read in boxers that this is just a caricature of mental illness and race and class relations and and this and that and you know i i don't know who's got the caricatured point of view on these things to be honest i don't know who's you know well, so when you were mentioning that, Corey, um, it reminded me of a crucial plot point in the movie, which is how, like you were saying, you know, you have this, uh, this kind of movement depicted in the movie of people dressing up as clowns uh, or wearing clown masks that were inspired by a couple of things. One is um, Thomas Wayne, uh, Bruce Wayne's, father uh, who who has a, a role in this story uh calling people who were not taking responsibility for their lives um clowns but he also acknowledges that he wants to make the city better and and do things for people to make their lives easier so there is an there is this response um this angry response to thomas wayne's statement about clowns that kind of creates this movement and then there's also Arthur Fleck's um, killing of three Wall Street types who, uh, as the media covers it in the story, were killed by a clown. So they're also inspired by this image of, of, um, of vengeance uh, towards the, the so-called 1%. 
um, and the rich. Uh, hold through, on to that point. Yeah, hold murder. on to that point for a sec. I want to I want to just clarify some of the plot points. Mm-hmm. So in the movie, it starts out, and you get uh, they establish that in Gotham City, there are basically there's been like this garbage strike, so garbage is piling up on the streets. The you get the the impression that it's a very a very tense time socially. There's some um, some resent resentment and like almost class conflict issues going on. It's a it's a it's kind of a powder keg situation. So then what happens is that um, Joker or Arthur Fleck, having had a few like he's gotten beaten up already once on the job, and then um, you know a couple bad things have happened so far, and he's on the subway where he has this encounter with these three Wall Street types. And they end up, um, again, beating him up. like Because, uh, he, well, he has this condition where he laughs un- uncontrollably. And so he starts laughing at them and their interaction with this woman who's on the, the subway, too. That's a whole other thing. Uh, I'll maybe remind me to get back to that point later on, the, the woman on the subway. So they start attacking him. They've got him on the ground. They're kicking him, like happened in the first scene where these teenagers are kicking him um, and like beating him up in an alley. And at this point, he's gotten a gun. One of his coworkers has given him this pistol, and so he shoots two of the two of the guys on the subway. He shoots one in the head, shoots another in the chest a couple times, and then he pursues the third guy out of the train and shoots him in the back, basically kills him in cold blood. So these three murders are then what prompt the reaction from Thomas Wayne, who's running for mayor, to to say, like, oh, this was such a cowardly act because um, this guy wearing a mask, um, just, you know, that's the fake news. <laughs> the media, like the media had said that he was wearing a mask. He wasn't. He was wearing face paint. But this guy in a mask was a coward. He couldn't even show his real face. And it just shows the, you know, the resentment that... Uh, this uh, this poor person, because it must have been a poor person killing these rich people, must have had for the people who have made something of their lives, mm-hmm. and and so he says, well, as long as these people, as long as like the less fortunate have attitudes like this and behave in such cowardly ways, then the the rich are going to see them essentially as clowns. We're going to yeah. keep seeing you as clowns. So then that is then so then in reaction to Wayne's statement, the people which are basically like this. Um, incipient occupy movement then adopt the clown as a mask to say they're saying oh well you're calling us clowns well we're clowns here we are and so they all wear these clown masks at all these demonstrations and so the news the, the news media plays this big role by first of all framing the the murders in this class warfare sense when actually it was it was basically it started out basically as self-defense and had nothing to do with the fact that these guys were rich um it was that it was this kind of chance encounter. Except for that rich people are jerks. Right. Except for that rich, rich people are jerks, <clears throat> according to Arthur Fleck, too. Um, so that's how the media is framing it. And they've got his, you know, his, um, this clown, this, this scary clown face on the, the, the front page of the newspapers. And uh, talking about, well, headlines like kill the rich, because now the, the protesters are um, uh, bringing this class warfare element into it, or class, yeah, this class conflict into it um, as this battle between the, the the rich and the poor, and so this whole climate is brewing, and in part, in part is sparked by this basically random murder of these three guys on the subway that ha- that this clown happened to have uh, you know perpetrated. So that's the kind of setup for 
for this clown movement. Yeah. Thanks for fleshing that out. Um, there were parts of that that, uh, that I didn't get in the correct order, clearly. Uh, the main point I wanted to make on that was that he, um, you know, Arthur Fleck says to individuals, cops investigating and, and to others, that he's not political, and he really isn't. Um, so another statement of the film in, you know, in the clowns kind of following in, in the people dressing up or, or wearing the mask of the clown and following Fleck in a way is that these movements, this is the message here, um, can be steered by, influenced by, inspired by people who behave psychopathically. And, uh, and I think that's a very, it's a very strong message, even if it's not spelled out in, in the way that, um, that other things, other films, other books might spell it out, that, that there is this, uh, that the, the kind of downtrodden, um, who we've come to, uh, sympathize with and and see as the protagonists and want to see win and 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 beat the you know beat the oppressors in the end uh, are in fact uh, being led or inspired by and and reacting to um, a crazy man uh, so there is that element too I think that would that has to feel deeply uncomfortable for anyone who who has a uh, a kind of a leaning towards um, economic social justice in the way that that some people do, and this isn't an indictment of of uh, of, of protests and of and of calling out inequality um, when it's ridiculous, um, but it is a statement of of how some of these works, how how some of the, these things work, and harkens back to a lot of our discussions on. Um, Forces of, of ponderization, spellbinders, uh, individuals who can, uh, by their charisma, um, lead large groups of people astray. So that was that was some of some of the thoughts I had on on how and why this movie might make a lot of people uncomfortable. Well, just the character himself makes you uncomfortable. Good God, I'd never want to watch it again. You know, that's one thing I agreed with a lot of these reviewers. I was like, the only thing I really agreed with them, and I was like, well, I don't want to watch that again. I was like, yeah, me either. I mean, I liked the movie, and I enjoyed it quite a bit, but the the aura, you know, everything about the all the different traits, the character traits that Arthur Fleck has, um, his complete uh, delusional belief that he's going to become a great comedian someday, um, but he he doesn't even he can't tell a joke. I mean, his jokes are just weird stories from his childhood about how his mom loves him and want, and thinks that he needs to bring joy and love to, you know, or is, was born to bring joy and love to the world. You know, he's really extremely pitiable in the, in a sense, right? So that's where I think you get a lot of, um, you know, people who like to pity people and like, that's what, that's what they make their living off of is pitying people. They need, they see this and they, it's just an affront because, he's so pitiable throughout the entire movie you pity him for you know being bullied you pity him for like really legitimate things that he probably has no control over like his 
inability to control his laugh. He just laughs like nuts, like a nutso. And he has a card that he shows people, you know, when he's in a situation that says, you know, sorry, I have a medical condition where I just laugh, you know, please return this card to me. I'm not going to kill you. You know, that's what the card basically is like. I'm just, I'm just crazy. You know, he has like really legitimate mental health issues. Um, but like deep down inside, he is completely radically, um, Making wrong, like the wrong decisions just in his life. His personal responsibility is a total wreck. So it's like, sure, he has all these pitiable qualities, but at the same time, he's he's indulging in some in his worst traits, in the worst aspects of his nature, and he keeps on indulging his delusions about you know dating um, a girl that that lives on the same floor as him and the and his mother. And, it, you know, it's throughout a large chunk of the movie, you're not, you kind of seems like they're actually dating, but then there's, you know, the re- the reveal that actually it was all in his head, and he ends up in her apartment, and she walks in on him after putting her daughter or her child to sleep and finds him sitting there, you know, like, thinking that he belongs there because in his mind, he's been dating her, right? And he's he took her to his first uh, stand-up routine. And, you know, in his mind, they had this great relationship. He was able to talk and he was savvy and all this stuff. And this, I think this really touches a nerve with a lot of people too, because this is something that is, that's universal in human nature, right? It's just, there's this universal tendency to, you know, to pretend that you're better than you are and that, you know, you're shocked when you find out that you're not the, you know, as good a person as you thought you were. And it's, you know, it's that, that's just a part of life in general for everybody, everybody, you know, there's, but he's continuously indulging in this and indulging in this and ignoring adult responsibilities up to the point that he starts finding himself in situations where he is, incapable of reacting in any way that isn't chaotic and violent because he's just such a mess. You know, he's, you know, he's getting bullied. You know, normal people, if they're getting bullied, they know, you know how to handle it. You know what I'm saying? Even if you have impediments, if you have handicaps and people bully you, there's numerous, innumerable examples of people who it makes them stronger. They, they, they learn to deal with that. They just, it's just a part of reality and it sucks. It's a horrible part of reality, but it's universal in the human condition. It doesn't really matter. There's always pecking orders of one kind or another. And he, on the other hand, just continues down that road until he's shooting people, killing them. And that's one thing that I didn't, that I, I liked about the movie, but not quite was that most of his violence was reactive you know, it's like, I just don't get the impression that somebody like him, that is as delusional as him, isn't more of, he doesn't engage in more violent crimes before the age that we see him. You know, it just seems to me like this, that's the only thing I didn't feel was really accurate or, you know, of, of the movie as a psychological portrayal is like somebody this crazy, this dark, this delusional, who's stalking people, who's, you know, doing breaking and entering into their houses and probably sniffing their clothes and all this stuff. This guy is, um, he's engaging in a lot more nefarious and dark stuff way earlier in his life. I'd say probably in his twenties or something, Mm -hmm. you know, and by the time we meet him, he's in his forties and he's just like, well, I guess, you know, my living with my mom didn't work out the way that I thought. And the closest thing that you actually have to something like you're talking about was when he was, uh, in that alleyway after he had gotten fired, I think. 
uh, and he was just like beating the crap out of the the dumpster. Mm. But that is like it's so benign compared to like the the things that he would probably actually be doing prior to going on those killing sprees that yeah i I agree that it's not quite but then in the end he does end up engaging in you know like a blatant murder Mm -hmm. you know that's but so i don't know that's just nitpicking on my on my part but i i listen to a lot of true crime and so i just you know (laughs) it's like i I like reading it and trying to figure out what those people think and how they evolve as you know from creepy little monsters into horrifying real actual monsters you know, my my impression was that he he was trying to play a, a much younger man, Joaquin Phoenix, the actor in the role. Um, well, yeah, that could uh, be. I don't know that or they. You know, he. Um, you know, as people were saying about his portrayal, it was a, it was a really brave thing, just from a you know a, a kind of a movie making perspective, for um, Joaquin Phoenix to choose to to play the Joker after such a. Uh, an amazing performance by Heath Ledger, and um, I think, I think, uh, not to get too bogged down in this one point, that he, um, the producers probably thought they couldn't do any better than to get a good actor such as Joaquin Phoenix to to portray this guy. Be that as it is, um, I do want to say that this this film is in many ways not very original. Uh, even though I think it's an important film and a well-made film. Um, it's really very heavily influenced by uh, a couple of movies um, made in the 70s and early 80s by Martin Scorsese. Uh, the first one being Taxi Driver, uh, which also stars Robert De Niro. And um, this is also a film about a character's descent into psychosis. Uh, where he seems fairly normal and and constant and continuously skirts the edge of normal behavior and until uh, he reaches this kind of fulmination of of full psychosis. Um, the other film that this is uh, heavily influenced by is also about Martin Scorsese. It's called The King of Comedy. That too. Uh, stars Robert De Niro and is all about uh, another failed comic uh, who is um, who who tries to take his failure into his own hands and and reacts in a completely criminal way um, where you're also asked the question you know how how kind of uh, sick this individual is so as an aside martin scorsese helped uh in some of the production of this movie joker uh he also had something to do with casting or helping robert de niro or the producers of the film to get robert de niro to play a talk show host uh in joker and um what's interesting about that is that de niro plays this kind of fatherly figure uh, that Arthur Fleck looks up to uh, as as the kind of um, you know epitome of success and and good stand up comedy, uh, the very opposite of his role in King of Comedy. So um, I mentioned these films because th- they were the reasons why I didn't want to see Joker. I ha- I had seen this kind of nihilistic portrayal 
of a human being going down the criminal path before. And I didn't feel like, you know, it's, 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 it's pretty somber. It's not happy stuff and it's not entertaining in the way that we sometimes want to be entertained. Um, having said that, uh, it's so well done. It's so kind of, um, correct. I think in, in a lot of its depiction, uh, it's so, um, if you appreciate Batman comics uh, or the films, it's, uh, it's cinematography and it's art direction and, and it's view of Gotham or New York City in the, in the mid-70s is so spot on. It's unbelievable. Uh, and I lived in New York City in the mid-70s and, I, and, of course, I've seen Taxi Driver. And these are kind of bleak uh, visions of the urban landscape that um, that even though you know there, there's nothing new to it, uh, have been so well appropriated for the use of of the Joker movie, um, are so part of his inner landscape that uh, you can't help but admire the how well it it melds with the storytelling and the and the character development, um, and for that reason, I was uh, I was really I was pleasantly surprised by the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Well, like you mentioned uh, at, right at the top of the show, Elon, how you didn't want to see it at first or you had no, no, real, interest, no real interest in seeing it. I was kind of the same way because the, the, thing I'd like, uh, the thing I liked about the Joker, the thing I like about the Joker in the comics and in the movies is um, that he kind of comes out of nowhere. You have no idea what his background is. And when he gives his background or when you think you know it, um, chances are... It's a lie or a, a, a version of the truth or just, you know, just a complete fiction. Kind of like in Dark Knight when uh, the Joker at various points in the film gives different different explanations for how he got his scars. Completely different stories, right? Mm-hmm. But in, in each one, he's believable. But he's just making up stories. And then I think it's in Killing Joke, um, the, the graphic novel, where at the end he there's this kind of origin story. But then he says basically that he prefers his his history to be multiple choice. And uh, Todd Phillips has quoted that line, you know, in, in, in interviews too. So that, but, so I was initially reticent. I'm like, oh, well, a Joker origin movie, it's going to just be kind of this cheesy, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> you know, th- th- usually the way most movies present like the descent into criminality isn't very well done. It's kind of, it's kind of ham, ham fisted and, and not really believable. So I wasn't really looking forward to it. I decided to see the movie after, you know, all the conversation about it. I'm like, oh, well, this actually might be kind of interesting, if nothing else, just to see what all the hype is about. Turns out that uh, I was kind of wrong because it, 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 well, on the one hand, I was kind of right in that it, it presents this, this image of how someone becomes this criminal. So I was right just by guessing the form of it, the, the rough form of it. But it's actually really well done, really, really believably done for the most part. And not only that, there is, there is all kinds of ambiguity in the film itself right. um, that, per, that perhaps it is a multiple choice answer. You know, this is just one story. Um, and again, Phillips, ha, and, Phillips and, um, and Joaquin Phoenix have both said this about the film, too, that actually, you know, you can probably interpret it any number of ways. And, um, and it is at least possible that this entire movie is kind of just, uh, just a story just a joke, you know, that, uh, that, that this guy at the end of the film 
Arthur Fleck, maybe not, maybe not even Arthur Fleck, is telling to, to this psychiatrist at the very end of the film. Who knows? But, so despite my initial reticence, I was actually, like, really impressed by the film. Um, I th yeah, I think it was great, and I think it was a, a great performance, great script, um, pretty much everything about it. Um, but what I want to talk about is more on the kind of the character development um, and the, the journey that Arthur Fleck takes. Because the way I see it, it's kind of like a... If it's not an uh, it's not a hero's journey, it's more of an anti-hero's journey, because the like the way you the 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 way it starts out and the the way that you or the things that you learn about Arthur Fleck from the very beginning, the way he's presented, and from what you learn about his potential history in throughout the course of the film. So you've got this guy like you were describing, Corey, who's really um, really a pathetic individual, um, like he inspires pathos, like he is totally ineffectual. No one likes him. He has no friends. He's he's alone. He lives with his mother. They have this incestuous, kind of incestuous, well, at least emotionally incestuous <laughs> relationship, as you pointed out, Ilan. Like, you, there's even a hint that they sleep in the same bed. It's not explicitly, explicitly said, but it, it's kind of like it's implied that they do. And, like, he, he bathes her, um, like his old mother, and they've just got, so they've got this relationship. He takes care of her. And uh, he's got no girlfriend. He's got a, a pretty crappy job. But at his job, he's constantly making mistakes. He's constantly getting complaints for the, from the people that he works for, for that he does uh, you know, his party clown routine for. Um, he's constantly screwing up. Um, people think he's weird. No one wants to be around him. And that's because he, he does have all of these uh, mental problems. So it's revealed that he's on like seven different types of medication. He's... Uh, you find out from his childhood he was uh, like neglected and abused as a child. Um, probably uh, has some some severe brain damage. That's probably what's led to his the condition of his uncontrollable laughter. He's got personality problems. So not only is he extremely introverted, he's um, he's got like uh, probably numerous affective disorders too. He's got like extreme depression, possible like possibly some bipolar elements. He's got he's usually in an extreme depressed state, but he has these fantasies where he he's uh, where he experiences almost this. Well, that's the only at one point in the in the story he he tells his social worker that he that he's never felt. Um, He's never felt happy or like a good emotion for his entire life. He's always been basically miserable. But in the film, he does have moments of positive emotion, but those are entirely in his fantasy world. And so here's this guy that is just has nothing going for him. No one likes him. Everything, everyone thinks he's weird. He's getting beaten up on the street. Um, like you, like you said, Corey, it's like he has all these reasons to actually, you know, be miserable because he's living out this miserable existence. But as the, so you have, like, this is where he's starting out from, um, with not very many positive qualities. Oh, and on top of that, he's got this, um, like, despite his kind of complete failure in life, he, he does have this grandiose picture of himself. Mm -hmm. um, like, he is one of those, he's like one of those people that, uh, that are convinced they're great singers when actually they're horrible and can't carry a tune to save their life. That, that's actually one of the jokes in the movie. But, uh, but, um, he so he th he he wants to be the successful comedian, and like his mother tells him in like another one of those painful scenes, he's like, oh, you know, I'm g I'm going to be a comedian or whatever, and she like very seriously says to him, well, 
you know, don't you have to be funny to be a comedian? Right. And it's just like, oh, God. It's like, well, yeah. And from his jokes, you know, I actually, his jokes are so bad that they're funny. I actually thought a couple of the jokes were, were um, you know, not bad in a deadpan kind of way. But uh, that aside, so here's this guy. And so he's got nothing going for him. So what's the actual journey that he takes? Well, it's almost, it's almost as, as if he's, he, well, he's, he's totally at the mercy of, of whatever he encounters like in his life. Um, it's, a, it's, like he, it's like he has very little free will. But that comes down to like, his own, not only his own personality structure, but, um, but his own, uh, like, his own, he, he embraces that almost, like that, that complete victim mentality for his life. And that's what Murray, uh, Murray Franklin, is that his name? The, like the Bob De Niro character the, tells him near the, near the end of the movie, basically, oh, you're just making excuses for yourself. It sounds like you're a very, you're, that's a, a lot of self-pity, a lot of self-pity that you've got. Mm-hmm. But along the way, he, he encounters certain situations. So the first big one is the, with the Wall Street guys. So his coworker has given him a gun to protect himself and he ends up shooting these guys. Now for the first time in his life, he's done something. He's made a difference. And afterwards, like, uh, th- this was a great scene. Afterwards, like, um, the way Joaquin Phoenix plays it, like, you can tell he's just, he's, he's pumped with adrenaline. He's, like, shaking. He goes into this, like, random dirty bathroom to kind of, like, shake it off. And then he starts this, like, strangely, oddly beautiful dance routine, uh, like, the, it, in this, in this bathroom. And then, like, ends, like, looking in the mirror like this, like, almost like this Christ figure. But then the next day or the day after, he's talking to his social worker again, and he says, and he tells her, um, uh, I got a quote here. He says, for, for my whole life, I didn't know if I even really existed. But, uh... Uh, but I do, and people are starting to notice. And that's after killing these people. So in his mind, well, first of all, that's another you know, mental problem that he's got, this kind of depersonalization that he, that he might not even exist. Like, he doesn't have a, a, um, a sense of who he is. He doesn't have, um, a, or like, a real personality. Um, the, there's, there's all kinds of things lacking in his inner worldview or in his inner, in his inner milieu like um, in, in his own mind, there, there are these holes in his mind and he doesn't have a sense of identity even. But shooting these people, like for the first time, he's been, he's been um, empowered in a sense. And I think this is, that's probably what has inspired partly a lot of the, the negative press about this movie is because here's this guy and the, the one thing that, that, um, that, that makes him something is these murders. And as the, as the film progresses... It's like he, he that's what made him notice, and so he starts embracing that aspect of himself. It's like, oh, well, that's what gets me, that's what gets me noticed, and that's what actually makes me feel something. And so he, he descends further into this, into this, in like the worst aspects of his personality, and comes to embrace them. So, whereas in like a hero's journey, you, you, you have this kind of, this, uh, this moral growth, into something like greater than than oneself, and uh, and kind of the the burning off of the of the the chaff, the am I mixing metaphors? The you know all the dead burning off the dead wood, you know separating the wheat from the chaff. 
whereas here it's like all the dead wood is kind of com compacted and compressed into this new personality for Arthur Fleck. It's something that he can embrace that actually gives him this sense of identity. Mm -hmm. And so the, the movie is, does take this, this progression to, it's almost like this, this pathological form of self-realization. It's like Arthur Fleck realizes who he is and becomes this, this monster, this madman, um, by embracing all the worst parts of himself. Mm -hmm. So one of the things he tells his mother before he kills her, because he finds out that she's lied to him his his entire life. He's adopted. Um, not only is as has she lied about that, she's told him that Thomas Wayne is is his father. Turns out, according to uh, well, even this is ambiguous. But you know, for for Fleck himself, um, as far as he knows, that uh, she was lying about that too. That she she was delusional herself. She was uh, hospitalized and institutionalized for. Um, well, for not only neglecting him, but um, because she had serious mental problems herself, including narcissi narcissism and basically de and delusional uh, delusions, and so he kills her kind of out of um, again in this reactive aggression, out of the just the betrayal that he feels from her. And before he kills her, he t he tells her that his entire life he thought that his life was a tragedy. Again, the, the self pity, but now he sees it as a comedy. So the fact that he's always laughing at everything, or uncontrollably, in the situations where he laughs uncontrollably, it's usually something uncomfortable, something that like pr pr uh, provokes anxiety in him, some kind of awkward social situation, because he doesn't know how to behave in, in social situations. Um, he, so he laughs. Um, so the, there's a mismatch between the, the reason he's laughing and the situation that prompts it. But... He comes to embrace that laughter as his real laughter. He says, you always told me that my laughter was a condition, that there was something wrong with me, but this is actually who I am. So he, he has this switch in the way that he sees his life and, his, and, his, and reality that, no, there's nothing wrong with him, actually. This is who he is. And the, the, the fact that he laughs at all of these um, awkward situations you know, now he can kind of now he can see the humor in them, almost as if he's like retroactively justifying all of those things that he's laughed at. They're actually funny, and and he actually does does find this this the 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 tragedy of of his life funny to the point where now it has been a comedy. It is like everything is so bad that it's actually funny to the point now where he can laugh at the at the murders that he commits. <clears throat> well, yeah, I just wanted to just comment on the that whole laughter thing and how he says it's his his true self. You know, the the picture that you get of this guy is he was adopted. That's what. But this is what I don't quite understand. He was he was adopted, right? Mm -hmm. She adopted him. So okay, so the genetics he. She, he doesn't. We don't necessarily know that he has her crazy genes, mm -hmm. but um, still, he was he was adopted and neglected and abused by her boyfriend, and then raised by this delusional mother and in, into this incestuous relationship. And he had, you know, clearly he had didn't have the best genes of his own. Although it is kind of it's kind of unclear. Um, like you said, it was ambiguous whether or not. Thomas Wayne was his father or not, because later on in the movie, there's this 
tiny little reveal on the back of a picture, uh, you know, to his mother of Thomas Wayne. I think it was of Thomas Wayne that it's, it says signed. Yeah. It says signed TW. Um, it's, you know, there's, I think there's still this kind of ambiguity there that it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would tend to lean towards it was like he, it was one of those relationships where he basically, you know, pulled his strings or whatever. And she was crazy and easily, you know, taken advantage of, and he didn't want to have to deal with it. But, but you know, the beauty of that picture, Corey, is that it can be, you know, his, his narrative is so unreliable and we come to understand that it's so reliable that maybe that picture affirming that he really was the son of Thomas Wayne and he really wasn't adopted, um, was a kind of a, you know, his own, um, you know, assuming, a history that that didn't really happen that 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 was his choice uh, right that's and i think you can go either yeah. way with that yeah, or it could have been out. the mother who wrote that note on the back like you know? she wrote it on the back yeah that's yeah. it's totally it's ambiguous but the thing is he has all of these forces in his life acting against against him you know he's basically you know he, he's just totally screwed in in many in many ways and then you have all of the social issues social pressures and all this stuff and you have this guy that's just it all it just looks like he's just set up for failure mm-hmm. you know i mean like like you're saying a lot of this you know the one individual all on their own probably can't handle this level of psychosis in the family in internally you know the social pressures because clearly they don't they don't depict you know gotham city as the paradise of, you know garden of eden everyone loves one another takes care of one another. no that's you know he's getting bullied he's he's getting stabbed in the back left and right he's weak-willed he's you know he's delusional and he's 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 nuts um you know you have all of these elements and his reaction to it is just complete just embrace the chaos because that's what he is you know that's like be yourself <laughs> he's like i'll be, he's just I'm, he is chaos it's the only way he knows how to bring happiness into the world mm-hmm. uh the only way he was programmed to or trained to um and that is to to you know go full joker and and don the suit and the makeup and and make jokes that only make sense to him <laughs> but i i wanted to get back to something and i don't even remember exactly what it was you said harrison but um, it uh, all of this uh, kind of controversy around the film reminded me a bit of our culture's embrace of Darth Vader. Now, several years ago, I noticed that a lot of kids were donning Darth Vader masks, and it became sort of fun and funny to... Uh, and maybe I'm taking, who knows, maybe I'm taking this too seriously. I don't know. But I'm going to say it anyway, uh, being a very big fan of Star Wars and, and even having enjoyed the, um, uh, the, the third film of the last trilogy, the prequel, where, where Darth Vader uh, or Anakin Skywalker turns evil. This is a full-blown tragedy uh, where we see this character uh, turn to the dark side of the Force. And... Um, and I thought enough in that film was conveyed to convey that sense of, of tragedy uh, and how awful it was. And, um, and so for me to see a lot of kids in Darth Vader masks kind of, you know, 
having fun with it in a way. I was like, no, no, no. He, it, it's, it's terrible. You don't even want to wear the mask. You want to be Luke Skywalker. <laughs> you want to be Han Solo. And if you, if you really want to have some fun, you can pretend to be a Wookiee, Chewbacca. Um, but in any case, this brings me back to Joker for a moment because um, Joker... Uh, for all the, the, the charisma and the, the kind of fun, because there is an element of fun in, in watching Joker, even, even if you realize he's evil, um, he should be terrifying, and you should, you should know there should be a gravity to his mental illness. Mm-hmm. There should be a gravity to just how twisted his thinking is because that's where it all begins with you know in in all the literature about criminal minds it's it's thinking like a criminal it's having these thought patterns uh this this kind of dissociated um grip on reality and and um and just a just a, a a lack of um connection to what's what's life-affirming and constructive. Um, anyway, all of this is in the film. And, um, and it's not entertaining, like you were saying, Corey. It's not something you, you want to see again, uh, necessarily. Um, it, it's, and that's, that's the kind of, uh, you know, you call this the anti-hero's journey, Harrison. This is a kind of a, an anti-comic book movie movie mm-hmm. also. Yeah. This, this, is, uh, this is coming at it from a completely different angle. Uh, that's, you know, that's not entertaining. That, this is, you know, what, what is this about now? Uh, that, that's that's the, the kind of attitude that this movie has fostered and has gotten everybody's panties up in a bunch among the, the, the so-called woke and the media and, and, and other folks who... Um, who are afraid, I think, also to look at psychological reality um, mm-hmm. among some people square in the face. So, uh, in that respect, uh, that's why this movie also has a lot of value. I would say. Yeah, it's it's not really entertaining. I didn't find it very entertaining, but it was very educational. Well, um, oh, you said some really good things there, Elon. The thing about it being an anti-comic book movie, um, I think that one of the reasons is that one of the reasons for the negative feedback, even though it's vastly popular, like it's breaking box office records, tons of people are seeing this movie. Like it's it's got uh, it's got like an eight point nine rating on IMDb. Like uh, the audience is actually liking this movie; they're getting something out of it, even if the critics aren't so much. Is it what is one of the reasons for this? Is that it's it's it, it's not what it's supposed to be. Right, it's supposed to be a, a supervillain movie. It's not supposed to be a gritty look at reality. Essentially, is what it is. Like, it's not supposed to be realistic. It's supposed to be larger than life. This is actually as close to real life as as you can get in a, in a lot of ways. That we have, like, the superheroes are supposed to be comic book characters. They're supposed to be caricatures. And so, when you see a villain. Um, it might be, oh, like even Thanos, oh, he's a great villain, you know, he's, he's well depicted, he's got like understandable motivations, but when it comes down to it, he's just some big purple guy, like that, uh, that people can, you know, look at as a, as a comic book character, he's just a comic book character, and so, but this works on the, on multiple levels, it's not only tearing down 
like you you go into the film with the expectation of a of of it being a comic book movie and very quickly get disabused of that notion but you all, but it applies in other ways too it's it's the it's you use the word charisma like when like and you mentioned like when we see the joker when we read about the joker we are entertained to a degree he's an interesting character we can we can uh even um like with the darth vader example a lot of people can can um idolize him in a sense even if it's a kind of like negative idolization as something like well well you know i wouldn't actually i don't actually like the joker but he's a great character and i like him right because that's how how you are with comic book characters or with any kind of superhero or supervillain whether in mythology or or real life um or comic books or whatever or movies um but when you present this and present when you when you present that sit that what's the word that genre, you know, that trope, when you present that idea of what it should be, and then you subvert it and like put it, take it in a different direction, that becomes uncomfortable, um, because it's like, oh well, wait a second, you know, I, I actually have some kind of like romanticized image of of criminals. Well, it were, when I said it works on multiple levels, you can look at it in terms of fiction, like you know, liking supervillains or superheroes, and they're, they're kind of like these these heroes in your mind, whatever. But it works the same in real life when we idolize heroes or we idolize villains in real life. Like, there are people who have this, like, great respect for the mob, for instance, who love reading true crime books about the mob and the mafia, and it's like, oh, you know, this guy was great, and oh, look what they did, and oh, they took over this city here, and it's like, there's a there's a there's an admiration mm-hmm. for for the more seedy elements of of life mm-hmm. and even in the people who are obsessed with true crime it's like you're not reading that because it just terrifies you you get something out of it like there's something interesting and intriguing about it and enticing about it it's a, it's titillating in a way um that's the that's the way these things work but what this movie does is it 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 gives you the logical progression of analyzing that like those those tendencies you have to project those kinds of things yes. onto yeah. onto reality. I would just say, you know, there are a couple of scenes when after uh, Fleck becomes, he just comes into fruition. Uh, he's come, he's come, he's come out of this kind of cocoon, and he's become Joker. He's embraced it fully, mm-hmm. and he starts. Uh, you know, there are a couple of sequences where he's, you know, he's the agent of chaos. He's become chaos. And, and, and he does it, and he, he wreaks chaos and violence and, and destruction with seemingly very little effort, considering how, how bad it becomes. Um, and, uh, and there's almost, thinking about it a little bit, you know, uh, it, it, there, there isn't the, the, wow, look at how messed up that was. You know, the, it, it wasn't that. It was, it was like, what have you done? Mm-hmm. You know, this is really... You know, you know, you you're sick. What have you just done? Uh, type thing, and, and and that's the that's the feeling. It's like a it's like a oh, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, it's it's so well done. It's so well directed and 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 constructed that um, you know, for, for a while, if you're a film buff, if you if you love movies, you know, there, there is at least with me, it's like oh wow, you know, that yeah. that was just artful. Uh, at least, at least compared to ninety percent of the stuff that we're exposed to these days. But uh, 
but um, having having really looked at it, I was like, and thinking about it now, it's like there's almost a uh, because there, there there is that you know that empathy you mentioned uh, before, Corey, at least early on in the film, and then you're like, if you if you feel any kind of care for the character, it's like it's like you know it's like that's 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 awful. Uh, but while you're watching it, you're, you're still kind of, you know, you're, you're, you're still involved with the film. You're anxious to see what, what happens next, but there is that element of that. And that's what gives this movie the gravity that it has. Um, you never for a moment don't think that this guy isn't a sick, sick puppy, Mm -hmm. especially towards the end. And, and, and their nuances and in, in, uh, Phoenix's acting, that are just that just br- drive it home. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I want I want to mention that a bit. Just a few of those performances, because like we've mentioned repeatedly, Arthur Fleck is this pathetic character. He's got nothing going for him. But like I mentioned before, in his mind, he's got this grandiose image of himself, and you can see that why in his normal interactions with people, he's totally ineffectual. But in his fantasy. Um, in his fantasies, he's suave. Sometimes he's a bit awkward, like in his first fantasy with Murray Franklin, and he's just kind of like this innocent, like little mm-hmm. little kid almost. Oh, I my mother always told me that my job or my purpose in life was to bring joy and laughter into the world. And he's smiling, and it's really cheesy, and and uh, like that's kind of like the emotional level he's on, I guess, in his mind. But when he like after. Um, after he does something, I can't remember if he kills someone or whatever, but he he goes back to his apartment, he throws his bag, and he's just walking like, you know, like a total alpha, and he goes into the, he opens the door to the, his girl, his imaginary girlfriend's um, apartment and just kisses her, and she embraces him, and he's like, he's a man in his, in his fantasy, in his mind, right? He's this, he's, he's effectual, he's a man of action, and in his mind, he, he's actually pretty cool, but in his, in his real life, he's not, and that, as that, as that progresses, um, you know, again, it's, not, it's really not clear what's real and what's fantasy, but as it progresses, there are a few shots of him where he embraces this grandiose vision of himself. And those are the images where you say, I'm looking at the Joker now. And like the scene where he's walking through the, out of the subway, mm-hmm. and he, it's slow motion, he's walking, he's smoking, and he's strutting. Mm-hmm. Like, and he looks, he looks amazing, right? And, and like, it's one of those moments, it's one of those kind of superhero moments, right? Mm-hmm. That you get when the like in a in a Marvel movie or whatever, where all of the all the superheroes are all expertly posed doing their superhero thing, and it's like, oh, that's that's really cool. They look great. Well, that's this is this Joker moment where it's like, wow, that guy really looks cool. That's a really cool supervillain. And but the thing is, is by, while watching that and seeing that and like seeing his his presence and his confidence in that moment, it's immediately contextualized. Like you were saying, Elon, it's like. Well, th- th- it's just really awkward because he's just done something completely horrible, out like that you don't see in, um, you don't see in that way in in superhero movies. Like you might see something that's like, oh, well, you know that that was a really mean thing that that supervillain did, right? So the the, the now the hero is going to have to um, make thing bring justice into the world and get him. No, it's like. It's like here's this really sick individual who's done something, right. and now look at this grandiose self-image that he has of himself, where yes. he's seeing himself as this god, and the like. The movie itself, 
um, like the filmmakers, they structure those scenes in such a way that just kind of like completely pull the rug out from underneath him. Like there's the one scene, well, um, it's the stairway scene. So, well, first I want to I want to get this image of the of the the first stairs up on the on the screen there. So the so here's um here's Joker. He's just done something. Uh, I can't remember if he's oh yeah no he's just killed his coworker, the guy that gave him um the gun. He's killed. That this is the violent scene in the movie. He's killed him, and um and now he's on his way to go on to Murray Franklin's live you know talk show, like you know um. The Tonight Show or whatever, something like that. So this is his moment of like triumph, where he's dancing down the stairs. There's music going. Um, he's he's like embraced this this grandiose image of himself, and it looks really cool, right? He's dancing down the stairs. There's some slow motion, and um, and then right at the end, he's nearing the nearing the end. You, there's these two police detectives that have been looking for looking for him because they suspect that he's the guy that has killed these guy these Wall Street guys they're up and they're just looking at him like what the hell like shaking their heads they call down to him and he's like ah! and he like f- freaks out and starts running away like that's the real Arthur Fleck it's like there's no grandiosity there he's just he's on the run from these cops he like he's not going to get very far mm-hmm. um he probably couldn't you know couldn't he he can't escape the you know the long arm of the law for long because he's he's not a supervillain, he is he is a pathetic human being who has this image of himself as a supervillain, um, or at least not not specifically not explicitly as a supervillain, but the grandiose image of he has that he has of himself is what the you know the viewers see as the supervillain. So it's really it's it's tearing down the the image of the supervillain it's like there is there's nothing to be entertained about in comic book villains when you if if those were actually real people you would look at them and and they would just be common criminals maybe mm-hmm. maybe um prolific common criminals but when you actually see interviews with like serial killers and stuff they're just they're just like well the serial killers at least they're just scum like there's nothing to them they have no personality they're just like killing machines there's nothing redeemable about them whatsoever right. they're just hollowed out shells of human beings that yes. that get by that get off on carnage and and killing and destruction and chaos well that's not exactly how arthur fleck is presented as a character he's a bit more nuanced and like of a different breed than that but the same thing is going on there now with those images of the of the stairs um one thing that just stood out to me i don't know if it's intentional or not go to the second image again like if you look at this image of the stairs, the way they shoot the stairs, like it's up at an angle. Now the way those stairs are, the stairs that they found, like the railing, it's like like if if you weren't if if you weren't to see Arthur Fleck there or like the um, the light post, y- you wouldn't know really if you're looking down the stairs or up the stairs. Now that was really interesting for me because in the first scenes, like whenever you see those stairs. It's Arthur after a long day of work where something horrible has happened to him, just like trudging up the stairs to go back home. So usually in movies, like an ascent is an ascent like rising into something greater. In this sense, it's like he's, he's rising up into hell, essentially. His life is a hell and he's rising up, rising up into hell. So there's this kind of like inversion going on with the symbolism there. But at the same time, when you look at it, it almost looks like he's he's walking down into whatever's up there. Like the, it's, it's, 
if you just squint your eyes, it's hard to tell what, you know, what's up and what's down. But then that scene where he's coming down is the first one where he is coming down the stairs. And that is when he's, he's got the makeup on, he's embraced his Joker personality. So now it's, it's the, so the, again, the, the directions have been inverted. His, his ascent into like, you know, his, um, his self-realization, his anti-hero is actually a descent. Now he's triumphantly coming down the stairs. And I just thought that was a, like an, an interesting inversion of, of, the, of the symbolism because he's not on a hero's journey. He's not becoming something greater than himself. He's mm-hmm. becoming s- something even less than what he was before. Mm. Um, and, and he is triumphantly like descending into the, like the depths of hell. Mm-hmm. And after that, you know, he gets chased by the cops um, evades the cops, um, laughs about it because he's gotten he's gotten away, and these cops end up getting beaten up on the on the subway. Um, he's responsible for another killing, this one accidental on the on the subway because the cops, um, you know, two cops getting on a train full of these protesters, these clown protesters. Um, tension like an emotion is already high, and they, they're you know one of these guys is pointing his gun trying to get at Arthur Fleck. And of course, gets in an altercation with one of the guys on the train and shoots him. So this guy dies. Arthur Fleck gets away, manages to get on the show. Now this is the this is kind of there have been these like mini climaxes in the film so far. This is like the big one where he's on Murray Franklin's show, his kind of childhood hero, his surrogate father figure that he fantasizes will love him. Right. What Murray Franklin has done has um, like the uh, like a week beforehand in time, he has played footage of of arthur's failed um stand-up routine at this club that he's done where he just completely bombed right he gets up there and just for the first what seems like 10 minutes but it's really probably only a minute or two is just uh you know uncontrollably laughing because he's very nervous so he just gets up on stage and starts laughing it's very awkward to watch then he tells a few bad jokes and it kind of fades out so murray franklin plays a couple of these jokes on the show um, you know, as a you know, a bit of a funny routine. Oh, look how look at how bad this guy is. Look how bad he, look how bad he bombed. But then apparently they the the show gets uh, good audience reactions, so they invite him to actually come on as a guest. So this is where he's on. This is where he's going after coming down the stairs, and he's got his whole thing planned again. You in a very awkward scene. One of the two scenes kind of reminiscent of Taxi Driver, where he's kind of practicing in his apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's kind of practicing how he's going to come on, like practice, practicing looking smooth and like he knows what he's doing and like getting all the moves right. Um, and uh, another awkward scene. He's planned it all out and then th- like it hints that he's going to kill himself on air. He's got this knock-knock joke that he's going to tell and then like, you know, he puts the, the gun and he, you know, pulls the trigger. So the the implication is okay. He's going to he's going to kill himself on air, and there are a couple things that that hint towards that. First, he's rehearsing, and then once he's in the green room, like he does it again, as if uh, as if okay, like readying himself for it. Now he he comes out on stage, and again, uh, this was another one of those kind of great grandiose scenes where they're pre- preparing to bring him on out. And so he's behind the curtains, and he just starts like striking a pose, like getting ready, and starts doing a little bit of a dance. And then when the when the curtains open, he comes out dancing, and he looks pretty good. Like he looks confident, like he knows what he's doing. Looks he flicks cigarette. his cigarette, um, gives like the the Doctor Ruth 
stand in like a big kiss very you know she's not too happy about that but it's uh you know it shows his his confidence and his uh again his like alphaness sits down and then um has this conversation with murray um tells a couple jokes one really bad again like an awkward bad joke um like a knock knock joke that just totally falls flat because it's just um disturbing really and so the 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 doctor figure says oh you can't joke about things like that that's totally inappropriate and murray murray tells him off and says oh yeah we can this is a family show you can't tell jokes like that <clears throat> and then um murray and arthur get in a bit of back and forth mm-hmm. and this is when um Joker now, because he asks to be called out, to be brought out as Joker. Oh, this is how they established that. Like, um, on the show, Murray Franklin had said, before showing one of the clips, okay, well, let's take a look at this Joker. So, Arthur requests Murray to introduce him as Joker beforehand, which he agrees. So, by now, so this is where Joker basically tells off Murray and says, um, you know, Oh, like you just you just showed my clips. Well, I'm angry at you because you you played my clips just to make fun of me, and um, and, uh, and and beforehand, Murray was trying to um, okay. he was trying to put himself into um, not the same category of person, like trying to present himself as a good decent human being like yeah there's some bad people in the world but not everybody's bad you oh, know yeah. i'm a good person too yeah and that's when joker's like really you're a good person yeah, yeah, yeah you showed my clip just to make fun of me right and before that this so this is the important part that i missed right on air he says he he comes out as the guy that killed these three wall street guys he says yeah i'm the guy that did that and so now it's live TV. It's an awkward situation. Murray's producer is telling him to, like, you know, cut the show. But Murray decides, no, I'm, you know, I'm going to go with this. So they have this conversation. And then that leads to, like you said, Adam, and then leads to him standing up and saying, you get what you freaking deserve and shooting Murray Franklin in the head live on TV. Which is like, well, first of all, like that whole scene was just brilliantly like everything about it was great mm-hmm. like and joaquin phoenix's <clears throat> performance and the way he delivered that line mm-hmm. like everything about it was just so like shocking and gut-wrenching and like disturbing but like uh plausible plausible yeah it was just really well done but while this is going on so so he shoots him and then like he gets up and he's kind of like awkwardly looking around goes around shoots him again twice and then kind of like drops the gun and has this awkward little moment where he does a little dance like again it's like very like uncoordinated and and awkward looking but very joker-esque at the same time i thought that was a a great little twist there but then he like he goes into the into the camera like right up to it to to deliver um uh murray franklin's line which is that's life and gets cut off right at life but right so during these scenes and afterwards, it's showing all the TV screens of, you know, the, the, the signal being cut and then the news programs talking about the, you know, the live on-air murder of Murray Franklin and then showing recaps of the, of the footage. And during those scenes, and then previously during that whole scene on set, there are these images of the kind of like the, what do you call them, the monitors of, you know, what's being shown on TV. So you've got the, 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 the film itself that you're watching which is you know a very realistic kind of view camera onto the the scene, and then these like 
you know, um, like almost low resolution TV images of the of the action. And every time it cuts to those scenes of the TV action, it's like it it's it was for me it was really jarring because it kind of takes you out of the the immersion that you have in the film experience and shows it as if you were seeing it on TV. And so when you, what you see as if you're seeing it on TV is just this supervillain you're seeing the joker then you're seeing like the comic book character and him like looking really like like this clown character on tv and and um and so for me it was like that 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 in in my mind it made it made it really clear the distinction between the supervillain the comic book character the comic book hero or villain okay. and then the the reality so you're seeing like the 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 comic book image, the romanticized, idealized, like charismatic supervillain, and then when you see like it goes back to just regular film that you're watching, you're seeing Arthur Fleck, and you're seeing this disturbed individual knowing everything that you know about him, and knowing that he's just this like really sick, pathetic individual who's completely immersed in self pity. Bingo. There's no, like there's nothing nothing charismatic or romantic about him. Um, he's just a really sick person who's doing this murder. And then you get that those little TV shots, and there's Joker. There's the supervillain. Mm-hmm. There's the you know the 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 revolutionary hero. Or there's your you know the, your your mob idol that you have if you you know or the the serial killer that you read all the books about. It's like there's the 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 idealized image of him mm-hmm. that um, that you're coming to see the movie for. Like you're coming to see the you're coming to see the Joker. You're coming to see this comic book character as a finished product. As a finished product, and what you get is the reality beneath that. Yes. That false image, that that surface thin, like grandiose supervillain, and then strip all that down, and what you get is just exactly. this wretched human being. Yeah. And so that's like all the it, it's really affecting. Like it 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 it's it's an emotional experience watching this movie. Um, and well, that, that's one of the reasons I actually, like, even if there were awkward bits, I actually really enjoyed watching this movie. Well, uh, but then again, that's just me. <laughs> like, not, well, not everyone will enjoy watching this how, movie. How about sure. this, Harrison? How about, how about, and I, I know this is an area that we wanted to discuss here today a little bit. Um, it, it's concerning what, what good art is mm-hmm. and, uh, and good art, hopefully, um, reflect something about our culture, something about our psychology, something about our, our, our inner life, something about, um, something about reality in an intrinsic sense that, uh, that is true. Um, that's what good art is. And, uh, and perhaps, you know, packaged up in this, in this Joker, uh, story is actually for once, uh, well, maybe not for once. There are there are some good movies out there, uh, but certainly a- approaching uh, th- this you know this story in a in a in a truly artful way. Yeah. Uh, you've not only gotten a, a new angle on the Joker character, uh, but you've gotten a new angle on us on on where we are today. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, there are this movie has it, it's reverberating. There there are there are so many kind of uh, echoes and reverberations in, in how people are responding to it and, and how the movie is commenting on exactly, you know, how people are, would be commenting on it. I, it's just, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of a mirror to, to where 
where we are today and, and how we're entertained and how we're not entertained and what the purpose of, of good art is, mm. uh, which is not always to be entertaining in the, in the kind of, um, in the kind of hero's journey sense, as you mentioned earlier, Harrison, which were, which we've seen done to death and, and, uh, all too often two dimensionally. So now we have, as you said, this anti-hero journey, which which is done on a on a completely three D level and in a very uncomfortable way. So, um, what can we say about this movie as a as a I don't want to call it a work of art, but mm-hmm. as a, an attempt at, at at art in as much as a a pop culture um, you know movie can can be art. Well, I want to read a couple things um, because I well I'll just say I think it is art. You know, I would call this movie art. But I'll, I'll explain a bit what, that, what I mean by that by reading uh, a couple excerpts from uh, this book. This is The Principles of Art by Robin Collingwood. You know, we've talked about Collingwood before on the show several times. He's one of my favorite, like, writers and philosophers. So he wrote this entire book on what art is and what art isn't. So I just want to read a couple things from it. One at the end, he's talking about, this is in the conclusion, He's talking about kind of how, and at the time he was writing it, 1938, the way he saw it, literature was kind of dying, like the, no, the novel was kind of dying around this time. So he's kind of giving, in this first excerpt, um, a kind of what he thinks might be done about that. So he says, in the case of literature, the only way which I can see of establishing such contact, this is contact with the audience, um, is for authors to give up the idea of pure literature, or literature whose interest depends not on its subject matter, but solely on its technical qualities, and write on subjects which people want to read. This does not mean turning away from art proper to amusement or magic. For the kind of subjects about which I am thinking um, does not consist of subjects chosen for their power of arousing emotion, whether for for discharge in the reading itself or for discharge in the affairs of, of real life, They are subjects about which people already have emotions, but obscure and confused ones. And in wanting to read about these subjects, they are wanting to raise these emotions to the level of consciousness, to become imaginatively aware of them. So there's actually a lot in that short excerpt relating to his whole argument throughout the book on, you know, what is amusement and what is magic and the purpose of art. Um, So right here he talks about the, um, about um, art being like that which um, raises the, these obscure emotions that we have, these un, unexamined, unrealized, um, you know, unspecified um, emotions to the surface kind of to the surface of consciousness, and thereby becoming aware of them. He says that that's actually should be the true purpose of art. So then he gives an example in his time, well, of kind of what he considers art. So he he brings up um, the example that he gives is T. S. Eliot's *The Wasteland*, um, the poem that he wrote. And so, right at the end, um, I want to read this second excerpt. This is about the wasteland, and I think it's also uh, it also applies to Joker and kind of similar forms of art. Um, you'll see why as I read it. So he says, The poem depicts a world where the wholesome flowing water of emotion, which alone fertilizes all human activity, has dried up. Passions that once ran so strongly as to threaten the defeat of prudence the destruction of human individuality, the wreck of men's little ships, are shrunk to nothing. No one gives. No one will risk himself by sympathizing. No one has anything to control. We are imprisoned in ourselves, becalmed in a windless selfishness. 
The only emotion left is fear. Fear of emotion itself. Fear of death by drowning in it. Fear in a handful of dust. This poem is not in the least amusing, nor is it in the least magical. The reader who expects it to be satire or an entertaining description of vices is as disappointed with it as the reader who expects it to be propaganda or an exhortation to get up and do something. To the annoyance of both parties, it contains no indictments and no proposals. To the amateurs of literature, brought up on the idea of poetry as a genteel amusement, the thing is an affront. To the little neo-Kiplings who think of poetry as an incitement to political virtue, it is even worse, for it describes an evil where no one and nothing is to blame, an evil not curable by shooting capitalists or destroying a social system, a disease which has so eaten into, into civilization that political remedies are about as useful as poulticing a cancer. To readers who want not amusement or magic, but poetry, and who want to know what poetry can be, if it is to be neither of these things, the wasteland supplies an answer. And by reflecting on it, we can perhaps detect one more characteristic which art must have it is to, if it is to forego both entertainment value and magical value, and draw a subject matter from its audience themselves. It must be prophetic. The artist must prophesy not in the sense that he foretells things to come, but in the sense that he tells his audience, at the risk of their displeasure, the secrets of their own hearts. His business as an artist is to speak out, to make a clean breast. And what he has to utter is not, as the individualistic theory of art would have us think, his own secrets. As spokesman of his community, the secrets he must utter are theirs. The reason why they need him is that no community altogether knows its own heart. And by failing in this knowledge, a community deceives itself on the one subject concerning which ignorance means death. For the evils which come from that ignorance, the poet as prophet suggests no remedy, because he has already given one. The remedy is the poem itself. Art is the community's medicine for the worst disease of mind, the corruption of consciousness. So th those are the final words of the book. And when I first read them, I just thought they were they, like just brilliant. Yeah, wonderful and, stuff. And, and a lot in there that's applicable to, you know, like I said, not just Joker, but films like it. Not amusing. Um, it's, not, it's not making this explicit political message for you to then go out in the streets and rally about. No, it's not presenting any solutions, not presenting any grand causes. It's just presenting, it's just this thing in itself that that through through the the making of it and the viewing of it that interaction between the you know the the artist and the audience it expresses certain emotions about uh, certain emotions about things it's 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 hard to put into words because you know like um like Collingwood says in the book if you could put it into words you wouldn't make art about it art is for the purpose of expressing something that cannot be put in, into words if it could be put into words you wouldn't need to write the poem like the the poem gets at the heart of something mm -hmm. in a way that just just saying it can't, mm -hmm. and that's why like art can never just be propaganda. It can never just be for rallying people to a political cause. It can never just be for for entertainment because none of those things actually get deep enough into and like the, there's a process that goes on um, in the experience of of real art that that has nothing to do with either of those things. It's a, it's a much more like complex and deep and like affecting 
process than than just I just you know going to a movie to be entertained. Right. Like going to a movie to be to be entertained, there isn't an, an element of that, but it's the element in the movie in Joker of you know watching those little TV screens or seeing these moments of gr- these these moments of grandiosity. It's like here's the here's the entertainment, but no, like that's not what this movie actually is. It's like here, here. This is the this is the the darkness mm-hmm. in our own hearts. It's like this, and that's like from there, like you can make all kinds of connections that aren't you know weren't necessarily intended by the the filmmakers. Um, you know, maybe they had some of it in mind when they made it, but you can then take something like that and apply it. It's like just like the wasteland. You can make an interpretation of wasteland and and apply it to things in real life and real life events. But you know that wasn't necessarily intended, but it can be used to such a purpose. So with Joker some of the, the the ways in which it does that is first by its look at violence and criminality. Now, Corey, you brought up a, an interesting article to me before we did the show um, about... Oh, you want to hold that up, hold up that book, Ilan? So we've talked about this book before, Anatomy of Violence uh, by Adrian Rain. Well, there's this article in Vanity, in Vanity Fair of Adrian Rain's response to this movie. He said he went to see it just expecting, you know, he was just going because of, I, I believe, with his nephews. Or, yeah. And, you know, just for some entertainment value, I guess. Um, he wasn't really a, a comic book fan or a Batman fan. But he said that um, the movie, he was actually extremely um, surprised in a positive way by the film because it is, as he put it, such a great educational tool. Um I'll read just a bit of the article. He said that what, uh, what Rain saw on screen stunned him. According to the neurocriminologist, the script authentically traces the way a man could be driven to deeply troubling acts of violence by a combination of genetics, childhood trauma, untreated mental illness, and societal provocation. Um, and he goes on, like, using his own expertise, like, he, he's, he's an expert in, in violence and criminality and psychopathy, and all of the factors that go to or go together to to create violence and criminality. So he's actually an expert, <clears throat> um, and I, I do recommend reading that book. Um, so he points out like the neglect and malnutrition and physical abuse, um, all of which are um, you know factors that can and do lead to criminality at a at a uh, a later time in life. And um, so. Well, let me read one paragraph that was particularly impressive. Uh, He said, The film was a surprisingly accurate prediction of the kind of background and circumstances which, when combined together, make a murderer, said Rain, who was already considering integrating Joker into a forthcoming course at the University of Pennsylvania. For 42 years, I've studied the cause of crime and violence. And while watching this film, I thought, wow, what a revelation this was. I needed, I needed to buy this movie down the road, make excerpt clips of it to illustrate. It is a great educational tool about the making of the murderer. That threw me, confessed Rain, still surprised by how much he appreciated the film. I talk about all of these factors in the class, and honestly, it's really hard to get a true life story that fits all, the, all of these pieces together let alone a very dramatic and stylized movie that illustrates these factors quite strongly. That was really a revelation. So here you have one of the foremost figures uh, in, in science and psychology on the subject of psychopathy, um, kind of affirming what we've been saying all along here, and that is that, that this film 
uh, affirms what reality is, even if it's even if it's very uh, ugly. Um, and speaking of ugly, I wanted to just get back for a moment to the subject of um, uh, or to the film Taxi Driver, which I mentioned earlier uh, was a I think a, a very big influence on this movie um, in, in a number of different ways. Uh, and you might even argue is a, a little bit of a reworking of Taxi Driver by Martin Scorsese and starring Robert De Niro. I used to carry around this um, this encyclopedia of movies called Leonard Maltin's, um, you know, movies. It had like thousands of movies, little like one paragraph descriptions with the number of stars he gave it. And uh, I pretty much read through a lot of it. <laughs> And one description... Saw uh, about 90% of them, I guess. Well, (laughs) the good ones. (laughs) You know, the ones I'm supposed to see as as someone who loves movies, right? But his his description of Taxi Driver was, uh, some people think this movie is, uh, is, is this is a great film. We think it's ugly and unredeeming. And uh, and I read that, I was like, oh, it, it was a, it was a kind of a, a, a punch to the gut because I admired the movie so much. I admired the art of its depiction of, of, of the types of things that you were mentioning um, as art in the way that Collingwood would describe. Um, and, uh, you know, I was just reading today that uh, that criticism of the book, uh, that one review of Taxi Driver was the one thing that he got the most flack over in you know for the for the 25 or 30 years that he was publishing this book so i wasn't the only person to have a a, a problem with his review of taxi driver what is my point here in relation to the joker uh you said earlier harrison that this movie is incredibly successful people are are coming out to it maybe you know expecting this this joker movie and and coming out of it with a, a completely different, you know, understanding of, of what the filmmakers had in mind, even if it wasn't uh, what they expected. But my point is, I think that the reason why it's so, so successful is because, uh, you know, it, it's not the, it may not be the Joker movie that everyone wanted or expected, but the one that everyone deserved. <laughs> Or the one that everyone needed but didn't know they needed to see, necessarily. And need is a strong word, and, and I'll walk that back a little bit. But uh, it's like, you know, it's like getting, um, you know, it's like receiving some kind of, it's like going to a chiropractor, getting an adjustment, and not realizing just how messed up uh, and discombobulated you were and feeling so good afterward. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- this is an adjustment. Uh, this is an adjustment in, in, in thinking not only about what the Joker is, but what, um, what movies can be, uh, what good art is, what our society looks like nowadays, because you, you're not watching this movie separated from all of the controversy. You're not, uh, seeing Joker, uh, without the ideas, the preconceived notions and warnings of the film without those, without those warnings in mind. Uh, all of this plays a part in this. It's a little bit of a cultural moment. Uh, 
-hmm. right now. If you go on YouTube, you will see a great many people commenting on Joker precisely because it has struck a nerve and because it, it has, um, it's relevant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just touching on the, the relevance of the movie. Uh, there's a, uh, I think he's an historian of religion, but Walter Burkert, and he's written extensively on ancient, um, Greek, Greco Roman religions. And he devoted one, um, uh, a portion of one of his books to the uh, etymology of the word tragedy <clears throat> and where it comes from, you know, trying to trace it back to its earliest um, usage. And he traced it back and argued pretty persuasively that it, it comes from um, the, the term they used for people who sing like goats during tragedy, during sacrifices. And so that the origin of it was the ecstatic, savage energy that would accompany the murder of a human or an animal during a, sacri during a sacrifice of some sort of a ritual for a god. And, you know, when, uh, when Arthur Fleck says, my life isn't a tragedy anymore, it's a comedy, it's like in some ways he is, you know, the, you know he is kind of the sacrificial creature in society, you know, like the, the bottom, the scum, the un, unloved, you know, uncared for, unkept, you know, in so all those pitiable qualities. And he, he gets, you know, society kind of heaps on him and they use him, you know, for their entertainment. They pick on him, you know, they mock him. He's always getting bullied because that's just the role that he has allowed himself for whatever reason. Maybe he doesn't have any control over it, you know, and, and in some way that, like you were saying, it is a testimony to, like both of you are saying, to the, just the sheer complexity of, of this issue that he is, that yes, everyone is complicit in some way in turning him and creating this insurgency in the city, like uh, Thomas Wayne, you know, when he calls everyone clowns and he just whips everyone up. He's well-meaning, but he just, you know, he throws fuel on the fires. He's not, he's not tactful. And there's this huge separation between the haves and the have-nots. And clearly it's, you know, it's, it's a real, it's a real problem that isn't getting solved whatsoever. And, you know, this tragedy, you know, this sacrificial creature, you know, this kind of thing lurking in our psyche, mm -hmm. it comes back in a big way and becomes, you know, this giant, you know, goes from being just the, the scum, you know, to being something like so much more embodying such a, a social energy because on his own, Arthur Fleck would have been arrested. He would have gone to prison but in the final scene, he, it's society that frees him and elevates him. It's everyone who looks up to him and says, you know, this guy is fighting the good fight. You know, it's all of those negative energies, all those savage energies that are in society that, that have been there for time immemorial. You know, that, you know, thousands of years ago, you, we were murdering people mm -hmm. for, you know, to whatever to the gods, sacrificing them to the gods, you know, sacrificing animals to the gods. And then today, you know, it's those energies are still there and you see it in the, you know, that eat the rich, kill the rich, sacrifice the rich, sacrifice this, you know, murder, death, destruction, this savage chaos. I think that's a big, that's a big component. Yeah. And the, 
and that's one of the things that the the film tears the veil off of. Um, I really recommend watching Jonathan Peugeot's video that he did recently on Joker because he talks about this, how that first sign that Joker's holding on his job, uh, you know, going out of sales, uh, going out of uh, business sale for this business, um, it says everything must go. And the way Peugeot interprets that is all of your assumptions must go. Everything you think you know about the world must go. And this movie as being, as being Joker is going to tear everything down and leave you exposed and vulnerable and uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And he gives some examples of it. One of which is the kill the rich. Um, again, in the, in the film, it's a, a slogan. It's on, it's on their protest signs. It's a headline. Also in real life, um, you'll see protests like that often, often in capitalist countries kill the rich. Um, inequality is, is too bad. Um, we need to do something about it. One of the ways to do that is to kill the rich, sacrifice the rich, as you're saying. And that's a real sentiment. And it has happened repeatedly throughout history and revolutions where the rich have been killed, you know, class, actual class warfare. And not just the rich, of course, but this is, this is one of the uncomfortable aspects of the film is that there are a lot of people who identify with that sentiment um, and who really want to kill the rich. It's an idea in their heads. It's a, it's a motivating factor. It's a, an actual goal in mind. Whether they would actually go through with it or not, it's, it's in their mental landscape. And what the film does is show, well, this is what killing the rich looks like. Looks like killing the rich mm-hmm. is the same as killing an, killing anyone else. It's like here's this scene of Arthur Fleck killing the rich in this subway, where he just like on out of pure reactivity shoots some guy in the head, shoots the other guy, and then hunts down the third guy and shoots him in the back. Mm-hmm. Hunts down this wounded guy. He's already been shot in the leg. He's like stumbling away, and he just comes up and takes him out. That is extremely uncomfortable mm-hmm. because it is brutal. And so it, so one of the things the film does, basically, it's like, okay, kill the rich? Well, here's what that looks like. It's like, okay, you want you know, postmodern deconstruction, not only of literature and everything and, and, and uh, you know, texts, but everything about society itself? Well, here's what chaos looks like. Here's what that chaos looks like. And it's like when you have that mirror put up in front of your face and it's like, oh, that's what it really looks like? That, no, that makes me uncomfortable. I didn't know that's what it really looked like. It's like, wait, Antifa <laughs> killed Bruce Wayne's yeah. parents? Yeah, it's, it's really uncomfortable. And it's, so th- there's a sense also in a couple of these scenes where it's, it's basically revenge fantasy. That's another thing about superhero movies. Oftentimes they're centered around vengeance. And it's all often righteous vengeance. The bad guy did something bad. Now the hero is going to come and set things right by getting vengeance. Sometimes it can be well done, and it's and it's a it's a human emotion. It's like there's 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 something like deep and and like valid about the, that aspect of human nature. It's there. It's it's real. But here's this revenge fantasy, that, like that's grown in the soil of this self pity and this resentment. It's like okay, here's what your revenge fantasy looks like when you actually play it out. Yeah. Here's what chaos looks like when you unleash it. That's what's inside of yourself when you're feeling these things. And you mentioned a little earlier that, that he was rehearsing the scene with Murray Franklin by putting the gun to his own head mm-hmm. uh, and, and practicing that, that that would be the joke, that he would kill himself on air, possibly. 
And I think, I think the filmmakers are saying something quite important there too. And that is that the same, um, the same impetus to create chaos, to get vengeance, is in fact, on some level, suicidal. And so there, there, is, uh, there is nothing intrinsically uh, good or constructive about, um, about the type of violence and chaos that, that Joker uh, enacts because it could have just as easily gone the other way. He could have just as easily blown his head off. And, and there's a scene in Dark Knight um, which, uh, which captures that as well with Joker playing Russian roulette with uh, Harvey Dent in the hospital room where Joker's quite willing to put the gun to his head with the bullet in the, in the chamber and, and take a chance that he's going to blow his own brains out just to get Harvey Dent on board. You know, he's taking that risk. He's, a, he's an agent of chaos. If it doesn't work, you know, that's how much he values life. And so um, for anybody to, to not see that about this film, uh, that, that uh, the intrinsically self-destructive, it's self-destructive behavior, there's nothing being glorified or, or, uh, or made good or valuable about uh, Arthur Fleck's descent. Uh, it is suicidal. Um, and in a way, he's, he's, this is also a kind of a secondhand indictment of, of uh, social justice warriors, in a sense, you know, that, that, um, that taken to a, a certain level of uh, activism, uh, you know, it, it may not be suicidal per se, but it, it, but it certainly isn't constructive. Well, and it often in history, it is suicidal. And, uh, you know, again, I don't think, I don't know if that's the, if that was the, you know, the script writer's intention or not, but, um, well, I'll get back to that point. One, this will lead into it. One of the things earlier I, I said, I wanted to talk about the, the scene on the, on the subway with the girl, um, because that relates into this too. So the, the the thing that leads up to Arthur killing these three Wall Street guys on the, the subway is that there's this, just this young woman sitting on the subway and these three drunk guys come in and just start like in a very cliched way, you know, like a lot of guys are, just start like harassing her. Like, um, you know, oh, you know, don't you want one of my French fries? It's like, they're really good. And uh, just being really rude and like, you know, acting in a really douchebaggy way. And, you know, the one guy starts throwing fries at her because she's ignoring his advances. And that's when Arthur starts laughing because they're kind of laughing and then they turn their attention towards him. So right there, that just made me think, okay, well, in, in situations like this, I mean, you just have to read Twitter for five minutes um, to see like the number of people where like an encounter like that, like a sexist encounter like that, or it's like, okay, well, like those guys, those kind of guys should be castrated or, you know, executed or something. And again, just like that with the kill the rich, it's like, well, okay, this is what that looks like. Right. Um, <laughs> like, do you are really you still on board? Yeah, are you still on board? Do you really want to unleash those savage energies? Um, maybe not. Maybe there are other. Maybe there are more civilized ways to to deal with this sort of thing. But no, without without looking at without looking at those aspects of ourselves which are uncomfortable to look at, then we will be suicidal. You know, the 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 result will be um, particularly disturbing. More disturbing than watching this movie for sure. Um, because, like you mentioned about these revolutionaries, like. Um, 
this is the way those revolutionary movements play out and always have played out. There is a like a deeply held um, resentment, often because of some like justifiable you know grievance that has been a, that has occurred. Whether it's just something as like systemic as um, like wealth inequality, or or some kind of historical injustice like a past occupation or war or genocide, there are real things like motivating these emotions uh, of resentment and for vengeance, and unanalyzed, they are the motivating factors that rise, give rise to like movements like this, revolutionary movements. And like you see in the film, all of these, um, all of the, well, these crowds, they end up engaging in mob behavior, um, crowd behavior, um, rioting, um, <clears throat> and like, you know, burning stuff on the streets and engaging in just random acts of violence. Um, that really happens and the, at the whole time they're looking up to this figure they're elevating Arthur Fleck Joker onto the car the guy that kills um, Thomas Wayne and his wife in front of Bruce Wayne they do have that scene in the film you know says uh, uh, copies Joker's line from when he killed Murray Franklin and says you get what you freaking deserve and uh, and shoots them they're they're uh, they've they've lifted up joker to the status of this figurehead this this um this revolutionary leader when really he like like we've said repeatedly he's not he's just a wretched human being that they've attacked they've they've, they've projected all of their revolutionary sentiment onto and like oftentimes in real revolutions the it doesn't act doesn't actually play out that way the real revolutionary is just as fanatic as the as the you know revolutionaries under him but it's a good it's a good representation of what's really going on that the, the whatever that revolutionary leader is it's he's still not what he's pretending to be mm-hmm. um because any any revolution that goes down that path is suicidal and you see that right. if you if you look at the um um well, look at the like the cultural revolution in China. It's like okay, we're going to commit cultural suicide, you know, not a revolution. We're going to destroy the past to create a new, a better new one. And it's like it doesn't work like that. Like you, you, you are you are now an agent of chaos. Whatever false images that you have about yourself, however much you've elevated your intentions and and goals and motivations and your self-image, whatever grandiosity you have about you, yourself and your place in this movement and the movement itself, really you are an agent of chaos and you are bringing destruction into the world, yes. not creativity, not anything better, not anything good. The ends don't justify the means. And, um, and what happens is uh, quite often the results are far worse than, yeah. than uh, what, what existed prior to the revolution. Um, so good points there. And, uh, maybe that's a, a good place to leave it this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. Um, uh, who knows, maybe we'll, we'll review other, uh, films in the future. Uh, it would be nice if, if there were, um, films and shows that, that were as relevant and, and, uh, and good as Joker is. And, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, we encourage you to see the movie. Uh, if you disagree with anything, please feel free to chime in on the YouTube channel. Hit smash and like. 
<laughs> quite famously. That's going to be my new... Uh, <laughs> it's smash like. It's smash like. And uh, yeah, thanks very much, guys.